Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Today we'll start by introducing the 2075 movement. That requires a little bit of explanation. So, as you know, by this point, having listened to a number of the episodes, I rely heavily on input from the Seth entity. And I strongly recommend that you read two of the books authored by Jane Roberts, who channeled Seth. Those two books are Seth Speaks and The Nature of Personal Reality. These were the second and fourth of the 20 or so books that Jane and her husband, Rob, produced. They were all published originally in the 70s and 80s by Prentice Hall, a highly respected publisher at the time. Now, as you read those, it will quickly become apparent that I believe Seth gave us the most complete and accurate description of the true nature of the reality we perceive and how it is created and supported by deeper underlying realities. As noted uh, in one of my, the earlier uh, podcast, Seth said he'd completed all his lives on earth and was now part of a group of spirits. Those spirits slip in and out of different realities, such as ours, to inform the inhabitants there of the true nature of the reality they are experiencing. Spirits at his level of development have three main choices. They can choose to be either a teacher, creator, or healer. And Seth is part of a teaching group. It's significant that in all of the 20 books covering hundreds and hundreds of sessions in which Jane Roberts channeled for Seth while Rob took notes, sometimes with guests and sometimes not, Seth made only one prediction. Why? Well, that's due to probabilities, he explained. And for most events, there are so many probable versions out there that you might experience something totally different from one of your probable selves or totally different from the person next to you right now, depending on your focus and your choices in time and space. Now, the one exception, he explained, could be predicted because the framework of probability had been drawn so strongly that the event would be experienced by all those alive at the time. Now that event is the reincarnation of Saul who became Paul. Now Seth explained that the spirit of the Christ entity was too strong to be contained in one focused personality. And so it entered three. They were John the Baptist, the historical Christ, and Saul, who became Paul after his conversion. Now, John the Baptist and the historical Jesus Christ did their part, but Paul was not quite so effective. His role was to set up the physical church on earth to explain the true nature of Christ's message. But as inevitably happens when you attempt to set up a large organization run by humans on earth, the message was grossly distorted and the organization lost its focus. Christ's basic message was 
be like me. It wasn't worship me. The physical framework that Paul set up smothered the ideas, according to Seth, and he knew it would, but he did the best he could given conditions and the prevailing level of human understanding at that time. It's Paul's job, therefore, to incarnate again and set things straight. Now, Seth said Paul would do that, and a lot of what he had to do would be accomplished by 2075. Now, just what are we talking about here? Well, where do I start? In general terms, people alive at that time will be able to do many of the things talked about in previous episodes. We'll understand that we are essentially eternal, powerful spirits, whereas the physical universe we perceive is a temporary illusion. We will all know our consciousness is not restricted to our physical bodies. We'll understand that as human-focused personalities, we are playing a role, one of many we play, and that others, no matter how low or exalted their position, are doing the same. So we won't look down on others. We'll understand we have a much closer connection than we realize to the physical objects and environments that we are co-creating. We'll be able to travel in time. We'll understand there is no death as we think of it, just an expansion of our consciousness when it's no longer restricted by being in the physical body. We'll be aware of many of our, quote, past existences, and if we play the role of victim in one, for example, we might at the same time choose to be playing the role of the killer in another. We'll also be much more aware of what goes on in between lives. Now, Seth explained there will be a number of people born before that time who will help rearouse man's expectations so that they will be more willing to accept what Paul, using whatever identity he chooses, will be teaching. He said that one such man had already been born in India and that another would be born in Africa. Well, of course, <clears throat> they might well be born by now since, uh, since Seth, Seth said these things over, uh, what, about 50 years ago. He talked about a number of new prophets emerging before Paul actually incarnates this time. I'll turn now to some of my own guesses and musings and questions uh, about 2075, about individual thoughts and, and ideas that we've uh, mentioned in the past, and I'll address some of them now one by one. I'll start with the thought that our consciousness is not limited to our bodies. Now, many of us think, oursel think of ourselves as the person inside the physical body that we call ours. That's natural enough. We find it very hard to imagine ourselves as more than that. In fact, we seldom imagine our consciousness as being separate from our bodies. But by 2075, many of us will understand that our consciousness can extend well beyond our physical bodies. Like Bob Monroe, Joe McMonagall, Edgar Casey and others that we've talked about in previous episodes, we'll learn that we can experience realities far away, so far that some are not even in our universe, existing in an entirely different frequency that we cannot now perceive. While many that are in our universe 
are on other planets, in other galaxies and star systems. But we can also travel down the street or across town outside our bodies. So the question becomes, what does that mean for privacy and for matters that we'd like to keep confidential? Now, it's my understanding that in the death state, entities do not hide their thoughts from one another. And it's immediately evident to another entity what you are thinking. Well, I'm guessing that will become largely the case for us here on Earth. Think about the changes that would bring. Politicians and governments would all have to communicate in a totally honest way about their opinions and intentions. It's difficult to imagine how Putin, for example, the current leader of Russia, could wage war as he's doing. Would it not be obvious to all other world leaders what he was thinking and what he intended to do, regardless of what words he might choose to try to disguise them? And think about this. If you can travel anywhere with your consciousness, what's the purpose of wars and land conquests anyway? If you don't like living in the land where you live while your body might be forced to stay there, you can go anywhere else you like with your consciousness. Now, of course, if there are bad guys still around, conceivably they could keep you awake so you couldn't travel freely whenever you want. But would there be enough of them to police everyone? Would they resort to some future version of concentration camps where they keep everyone awake with certain sound frequencies? I have no idea, but I doubt it very much. Now, on the positive side, imagine how much more enjoyable life would be if you could at will go anywhere with your consciousness. Imagine all that you could learn about other realities from guides such as those who instructed Bob Monroe and Betty White. Without your physical body tagging along, you might be able to have all sorts of new experiences. Some with a good degree of physical or pseudo-physical components, and others purely spiritual. Would you also be able to tune in to any music you like anytime you want to? Sounds like a good time to me. We'd all be interested in what we're doing, growing in intellectual understanding and emotional capabilities. And then there's the question of joining with other consciousnesses, including other humans, animals, plants, and the consciousness of spiritual entities we currently don't even know exist. If I remember, at one time Bob Monroe mentioned that instead of human sexual intercourse, in the spiritual mode, two entities might totally join together in a kind of huge electrical charge, and that this was much more satisfying than what we experience here on Earth. As I remember, such joining together does not imply the lifetime partnership or the exclusivity that we associate with true love here on Earth. It will be interesting to see what develops in that regard. Of course, as spirits, we won't be exclusively male or female, though the current body we inhabit is one or the other. I have no idea what the implications are for how we will live our daily lives. I, for one, really love family life and family love. And while I'm sure we'll still be able to enjoy that in some form, will it have some kind of expanded meaning for us? I guess we will have our options as to how much of any type of relationship we want to experience. It's all difficult to grasp with so many options and probabilities open to us. 
Now, Seth did mention that in family relationships, there would be room for emotional interactions that are now impossible, since children would be aware of past existences, and they would possess the wisdom we associate only with those who've lived a long life. Uh, Another interesting note, Bob Monroe communicated to his daughter Lori after he died, emphasizing at one point that mankind has no limits. It's easy enough to understand that in our current circumstances, we have plenty of limits. But when you start to think about, quote, going anywhere with your consciousness, you have to ask, can we even conceive of limits under those conditions? I don't know the answers, but it's fascinating to just speculate about these concepts. Now let's turn to another idea, which is part of the big picture perspective, and that is that all of us are only playing a role. Gosh, what a difference that will make. Among the billions of personalities alive on the earth right now, we have plenty who think they're better than others because they think they're present focus personality, and of course we're all focus personalities. They think their present focus personality is what they are, and that others who are less powerful, less wealthy, less educated, less emotional, less religious, or less famous are inferior to them. And we have lots of others at the bottom rung of those qualities, who have little or no hope, who might have negative self-images, or harbor deep resentment for those above them on those scales. Well, think about what it will mean when all of us recognize that we're essentially spirits, not material beings, and that the material physical body we're inhabiting in our present reality, it's really an illusion when we're co-creating with our big self and a supporting underlying reality. Will we want to play our role, whatever it is, in a way that it benefits others much more than we do now? Will we, want, will we want to project as much loving energy as possible, knowing that whatever we send out gets amplified and returned to us? Or will we simply discard a particular role? My guess is that we'll hang on to whatever role we started out with, but we'll act in a way and project thoughts and emotions in a way that gives us the most joy and has a maximum positive effect on others. Now, it's been said by some that since we create what we experience, when, when we're the attacker and someone else is the victim, it's likely that in some other reality, they're playing the role of attacker and we're the victim. I don't know if that's accurate. But, <clears throat> but when we know we're only playing a role, I would expect we'd no longer want to focus on creating negative events like attacking and suffering. Instead, we could con- uh, turn our considerable energies toward constructing the greatest number of positive, uplifting, and exciting events and feelings that we're capable of. Now, right now, in this uh, third decade of the 21st century, we're, we're all aware of uh, the Taliban, and ISIS, and Al-Qaeda, and Hezbollah, the Chinese Communist Party, the Ayatollah in Iran, and the like. Right? It's interesting to speculate if there would still be, still be forces around like theirs. Certainly, if all people understood what the reincarnated Paul will be teaching us and they accepted it, there would not be. But at this point, we don't know. It could be that many of us accept it, but some do not. How then would the benign majority interact with and limit the negative effects of the ignorant minority? Assuming that they would be a minority, hopefully. 
I don't like to think we'd have to put up with that kind of barbaric behavior after 2075. And Seth indicated we wouldn't. Certainly we'd no longer have to create or put up with others creating negative emotions like excessive pride, envy, hatred, scorn, humiliation, or with betrayal, deception, intentional wounding of body or spirit, or any other negative thing you can think of. But I could be wrong there. Perhaps we'll still have a good degree of negative events and feelings, maybe even among millions of people. But hopefully these will be far outnumbered by the positive, loving energy projected by most of us. I'll end today's session by explaining that the 2075 movement is, is simply all of, all of us who decide to uh, figure that the big picture perspective is probably the best way to look at reality. And we'll likely agree on, although we don't have to, we'll likely agree on most of the concepts uh, presented here. The 2075 movement is it's not an organization. Nobody pays any dues. There's no precepts or commandments. It's just a general agreement by a lot of people that the big picture perspective has it pretty much uh, correct. Uh, and I'll uh, discuss some more individual issues in the next session. Uh, once again, I'm Dan McEnany bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.